Welcome to episode 176 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again by Ryan and Paul. And I don't know about where you guys are, but it's freaking snowing here again in Madison, and I'm a little bit over it. And I'm glad we have spring training baseball to talk about. How are you guys? Yep, snowing here too. Also Fantastic. snowing here. Yes, lots of lots of snow falling from the sky, lots of cold still, so... Thank goodness for baseball. So sick of football, not having football around anymore. I need a sport. Right, exactly. When it's snowing in mid-April, it'll be great that the Brewers have the roof open and fans <laughs> in attendance. But uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, I, I guess uh, before we start, we want to mention that we are going to talk about spring training and stuff. But uh, Ryan and James Anderson had a special guest on their minor league extra podcast. They talked to Ben Badler from baseball America, and we're going to preview a little bit of that later on in this podcast. But Ryan, you want to kind of give us the lowdown on what you guys covered? Yeah. So Badler is baseball America's Latin America specialist, and that has been his beat for a very long time. And so we spent a lot of time on that. We also, he did the Brewers list this year. So we, we talked also about a, a lot of those things as well, but we really wanted to hone in. And yes, there is lots of Hedbert content. So <laughs> that's all I wanted to know. Yeah, yep. there's plenty all of Hedbert. Hedbert. Yeah, plenty of Hedbert, plenty of uh, of Venezuelan content in general. So definitely uh, give that a listen on the minor league side if you are able. And if you're not, you know, $5 a month and you will be able. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, like I mentioned, we're going to preview, uh, give you a little taste of that coming up later in this podcast but first uh, let's just talk about it's spring even it's it's snowing outside but it's still spring to me right uh pitchers and catchers reported to camp in the last week optimism is kind of running high for everybody everybody looks amazing you know it's fun (laughs) how that works out when you're not playing other teams but bob uecker always said hope springs attorney you know a a lot to get excited about And, and it's just nice to see you know even if it's those five-second video clips of guys just throwing one pitch. It's baseball stuff happening, and it's kind of exciting. So, Thanks, Brad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, uh, Brad. Seems to be having the time of his life out there he in does. Arizona. And uh, can't be more happy for him. And, you know, it, it, it's exciting for all of us to kind of see these guys kind of get to camp on time, and it, it kind of feels normal again. So I, I guess I just, wanted, I, I just wanted to start with, there, there's a lot of potential storylines this spring, and you know, once the initial excitement wears off, there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to keep an eye on for the next few weeks. So I'll just start with, I guess, Ryan, what are you watching for this spring? Really, more than anything, I want to see the pitchers stay healthy. And that's true every spring, but especially this year, with how weird last year was, I'm worried yeah. about what's going to happen with the pitcher health situation in general. I know the Brewers have more than most teams have been pretty good about this, but we will see. It's going to be tough all over. I suspect we're going to see a lot of Tommy Johns this spring, a lot of other sorts of things happening with pitchers. So let's hope that guys make it out in pretty good shape and clean health wise into the regular season. If Corbin Burns gets hurt, I'm going to blame you, Ryan, right now for that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I deserve it. It's all you. It's your fault. I'm I'm here for everybody who struggled on offense last year, fixing all of their specific issues. I want to see high exit velo from Omar Narvaez. I want to see 
Christian Yelich raking against righties. Um, I, anything that went wrong last year, I want to see fixed in spring training. That's what I'm paying attention to. It might be meaningless, but I still want to see it. It might be meaningless, but good meaningless is better than uh, bad meaningless, I yes. suppose, right? <laughs> I want reason for optimism, not reason to be like, oh, no. Oh, not again. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I just right. remember every year in the Ben Sheets era, he would show up to camp and he would throw. And the first few outings, he would just get hammered. And people would be like, oh, what's wrong with Sheets? What's wrong with Sheets? And then usually like eh, somewhere between the 10th and 15th of March or so, his curveball would show up to camp. And then it was like, yep. oh, right. Ben Sheets is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. His, his curveball was like the Ryan Braun of pitches. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I, I'm interested to see when he eventually shows up because I, I guess I am convinced that he's going to show up. I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but this kind of floated around Twitter a little bit this week. But did you see his, his wife's Instagram post where it was <laughs> like, we get to keep him for now. Yeah, for now. Kind of leading <laughs> to like, uh, okay, maybe Ryan's bet of uh, what was it, St. Patrick's Day, thereabouts for. Uh, I think Ryan's I said uh, the tenth. I think I said the tenth. So a week before, before St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day. Well, we'll mark that on the calendar. But I, I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about that. And of course, it, it probably depends on if there's a DH or something like that. But well, and more rumors you know, this week about the fact that NL GMs are preparing for DH now. They're thinking yep. it's going to happen. So right. Which I think we we always, I think, basically maintained we thought it was going to happen. It was just going to yeah. be too weird not to, but... Yeah, cynically, we all thought it'd happen, right, eventually. Yeah. MLB um, wanted to drag it out as long as possible to try to get something out of it. Eventually, everybody will just realize, like, okay, it's not a negotiating point. The thing the players have here is they like it, but they don't care that much. So it's not like baseball <laughs> could hold it over them for further negotiation. The, the, the union at this point is like, we know you want it. And so we're not giving you anything for it. And if you don't put it in, so what? We've had, we've dealt with it for this long. We'll keep dealing with it. And MLB already collectively saved their few millions of dollars on what would have been a more robust DH market this offseason. So yeah, they, they suppressed their market a little bit. And now that's kind of done and over with. And mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Uh, Ryan, I'm glad you mentioned like, the pitcher health because I, I think that was kind of a, a theme, I guess, for the last week. And that makes sense because, you know, it's just pitchers showing up to camp so far. But it, it's worth mentioning that spring training is going to look a little weird this year just because so many teams are trying to work around making sure pitchers get through everything healthy. There's going to be some weird spring training rules. It's going to feel more like those scrimmages that we saw during summer camp last year where it's like, okay, I guess we'll call that an inning, even though there's not three outs or something like that and sure i mean this is the way extended spring is it's the way instructional league is it's how things are in the backfields like not necessarily for arizona league or or florida uh gulf coast league games but you know they're just willing to roll over an inning and and say whatever we're, we're here to get work in we're not here to like play a an actual baseball game and that's the way it should be well, everybody's kind of working under the same issue here that pitchers who pitched the most last year pitched like what a max of like 80 innings i think would brendan woodruff led the brewers and i don't think he even touched 80 innings last year i think he was like 72 and, yeah. yeah and so you're going into a 162 game season and you're figuring what's the max that a guy like woodruff or anybody's really gonna throw is it like 140 150 and it's like you're you're trying to make sure everybody stays healthy 
but also just kind of get so many arms ready because you're going to have to cycle these guys through, right? Well, it sounded like the Brewers actually said something about this, and I can't remember the exact number, but wasn't it like 100 past what they threw last year is kind of what the Brewers are comfortable with? I think that was it. Yeah, yeah I remember I reading right. something. They were talking to Corbin about it, and he brought off Wood, Woodruff and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, even Burns, he only threw you know 60 or so, whatever it was, innings. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see because – you know, you're not going to get these guys with 180, 200 innings, even mm-hmm. like your Max Scherzers of the world aren't going to throw that much. So it'll just be kind of interesting to see how that kind of affects the the field of play. And, you know, maybe that goes to what we were talking about the other week with the Pakoda projections and the Brewers depth, having 20 arms to throw out there during the year might be a benefit for the Brewers, right? Yeah. And I think that is part of their plan. I mean, that's yeah, always part absolutely. of their plan though. Yeah. Yeah. It. It'll be interesting to see how they handle the the pitching in the coming weeks. Obviously, they don't want to ramp up every, everybody too fast. Uh, but, you know, we're still a few weeks away from games happening. In the meantime, there were still some interesting things to come out on the position player side, including some shuffling around on the infield. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about third base and, and how the infield situation is going to play out here. And that kind of leads us to our first patreon question it comes from jay google of course of course it does. and hey, jay. yeah yeah hey jay suck it steve there you go we got crossed that off the list so i don't know if you guys didn't see there was some pictures floating around on brewer social media on twitter over the last week or so where we saw luis urias getting some more reps at shortstop which not terribly surprising they hope he can play there but we also saw orlando arcia taking grounders at third base which is a new development and pretty interesting (laughs) to me so jay is asking what are your initial thoughts on arias getting more reps at shortstop and letting arcia get looks at third base i guess paul let's start with you Uh, it's fine um (laughs) they even with travis shaw back in the fold they don't have solid options at third base and and arcia is a right-handed hitter um so that they still need to you know, have that flexibility to get platoon splits from all positions on the infield. Um, and they'd like Urias to play shortstop. I mean, that's the ultimate goal here. They have high expectations and high hopes for him uh, actually putting it together and turning into a, a well above average player. I think they kind of know, uh, RC, he had a good year last year. Let's cut him some slack, but um, his defense has been declining a bit. Um, he's not a much for a prospect anymore and kind of know what his ceiling is going to be. So um, he's the one you move around. He's the one you fool with. You try to get Urias in the spot where you want him to eventually land. Um, I know there's some some thoughts that he might be a little stretched at shortstop, but that's what you, that's, you want him to work on that. That's what spring training's for. And um, if you're going to get the most value out of RCA, he's got to be able to play wherever you tell him to play, whether it's third base or shortstop. So that's why they do that. And that's it makes perfect sense, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you always want to get guys work at as many places as possible. But I guess I just struggle to see a scenario where he would be at third base. I mean, first off, he doesn't profile Wait. offensively there. He does not have no, the power. He, he doesn't. Oh, you don't, you don't think he has 20 home run power? Legit? I mean, he might have 20 home run <laughs> so power. If he he's... might have 20 home run power. That's just actually not that impressive. <laughs> right, right. Right. And it, what is he going to sacrifice to get to that 20 home run power? That's the thing. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So I think that it's weird in that I would never expect. So I'm trying to envision a scenario where you would have uh, Urias at shortstop and RC at third base, and I think that would be insane. Like, I just don't get why you would ever do that. So, don't I'm struggling. Don't forget Keston here at first base, too. 
if right. you want to get super weird with the infield. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is all sort of bizarre. So I I mean, I don't begrudge them for trying guys out at different positions. And frankly, there are, you know, unless you're talking about the outfield, the two closest positions to each other in terms of what it takes to play them and sort of the skill set and the general, the, the sort of all-around player, really, except on the offensive side, is shortstop and third base like you have to have good reactions you have to have a very strong arm so those things they do have in common good good hands all those things are vital to being able to play either one of those positions well it's just that at shortstop you expect a guy to be more rangy and at third base you expect a guy to have power so offensively so that's generally what determines it and I just don't see how you would end up with RC playing much third base but you know whatever it's fine but Late inning defensive replacements. There you go. But why wouldn't it be Urias then? <laughs> like who's we, playing shortstop in that case? Do we do we know that Arcia is better at shortstop than Urias at this point? No, we See? don't. That's debatable. Yeah, that's, and, that's, I think that's where it comes down to. And maybe they want they're looking at it like if Urias is going to be on the field, we want him to be at shortstop. And yes, Arcia will be the backup shortstop, but then he's also going to be the backup third baseman and the backup second baseman. So. I think that would be something to also watch for to see if he's taking grounders at second base as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So keep an eye on that too. I do think part of this is for years, David Stern has loved the interchangeable infield pieces, right? And Orlando Arcia has been the one to stick out like a sore thumb because he was only able to play shortstop, right? So I think this is partially just seeing if he can do it at third base. And defensively, I don't really have any worries about that right like it was never an arm issue with him at shortstop it was the range and some of the decision making so hopefully you know playing a less taxing in theory position at third base maybe defensively he'd be stellar there but I think Ryan's right that you know what what's the best you can get out of him offensively like a 700 OPS which is not great for a third baseman yeah I mean his good offensive year last year I think he put up a 91 OPS plus like yep. he was still yeah. almost 10% for below a, league average short, yeah for a shortstop that's not terrible no it's fine though shortstop yeah. is changing now shortstop is that's becoming true. a much more offensive position mm-hmm. that's so. true I, I I do think if I'm remembering correctly that OPS plus did still put him in the bottom half of National League shortstops because it is a position that it's quickly changing you know with your Trevor stories and your Lindors and all that so yeah it <laughs> I do agree with Paul. I think obviously long term they're hoping Urias is the shortstop, and they're just trying to figure out a place where, you know, if they do stick Urias at shortstop every day, is there still a place for Arcia, or is his time kind of coming to an end here? Plus, they still have that hole at third base, so you know you may as well. <laughs> we we talk about throwing the spaghetti at the wall. It's another box of spaghetti to throw at the wall. So somebody's so, got to play there. It's, do they have exactly. a hole there now, though? Do they see? The- and, and we can segue nicely into the next topic. <laughs> uh, familiar face, Travis Shaw, mayor of Ding Dong City, coming back on a minor league deal. Uh, you know, trying to give a, a another box of spaghetti, I suppose, to, <laughs> to throw into the mix there. And, you know, it, it's somebody at least who the Brewers are familiar with. And, you know, obviously the last go around did not end well. And his trip up to Toronto last year, I don't believe went great either but you know it, it's somebody uh, who has shown some ability plays well at miller park as paul i'm sure will point out 
Uh, yeah, when he's hitting. <laughs> exactly. So I guess let's start there. Paul, are you optimistic at all that Shaw finds a way to cut? He's been broken for two years now, so obviously yeah. you kind of have to squint, right? But is there any hope at all he can be anything? There is. Um, it, it's it, it's just tough when guys like with his profile fall off a cliff. He was already... Uh, I remember when he was having his very good season with the Brewers, a lot of us got mad at Keith Law for calling him a, a glorified platoon player. Yep. And in fairness to Keith, Keith was right in this instance because basically as soon as he wrote that, Travis Shaw's splits just showed right back up and he turned into a glorified platoon or like a, a platoon player. I think if you use him more as a strict platoon player and protect him on his weak side, there's still potential to get a lot of value out of him. I think that really weighed on him when it started when he started becoming hopeless against same side pitching it really i think killed his confidence a little bit um that that relationship ended acrimoniously i think partially because of that realization by the brewers and trying to fix him and him maybe not wanting to accept reality the fact that he's just not gonna be that guy anymore who can who's valuable from both sides of the plate so um i think with with shots all about mental and um protecting as best you can and yeah you can still get something out of him but it's not going to be as good as he was on his good season his last go around like you're, you're hoping for half a player you're hoping for some pop you should this is a good park for him as we always say um and uh, um, as long as he can play within himself you can still this is okay it's not a bad half solution at third base Mm -hmm. And there's no reason that he should ever have to start against a left-hander that should, or that should never happen. And no, he should never come up late in a game in a key situation against a left-handed pitcher. They should be able to flip him out for somebody off the bench who bats right-handed pretty much every time. So really I'm not super concerned about, about that. And I think that it's really important to remember Travis Shaw in 2017 and 18, it was two good years with the Brewers. He right. put up almost 1,200 plate appearances, 1,193, and hit uh, 258, 347, 497 for a 120 OPS+. Those are really, really solid numbers, and he is yeah. still a very a solid borderline defender. All-star. Borderline yeah. All-star that time. Yeah. And he's a, he's a solid defender at third base as well. Like, he does not, he's not a defensive liability over there at all, or at least he wasn't no, last we saw him. So I think that we have to be at least somewhat open to the idea that he isn't just like gone and that he's not just over with because of the last over the last two years in 450 plate appearances, he put up a 65 OPS plus. Well, it's 450 plate appearances. And, you know, there was a lot going on. He got himself, as Paul said, into a funk against left handed uh, pitching and I think that did carry over and he really was just struggling and trying to get out of it and I think it got to be too much for him yeah and don't forget what everybody who played with uh, Toronto last year went through in terms of going to Buffalo and having sure. to be unsettled and all that who knows the individual things that anybody had to deal with during the pandemic basically it, it's I wouldn't take anything too seriously from 2020 unless it's like massive increases or declines in stuff that we can measure that are like inputs into the game. So if a guy like Corbin Burns developed new pitches, okay, we can, we can talk about that and say, okay, these seem to be substantive changes. Or if a guy lost a lot of bat speed, which is what James Anderson said he thought was going on with Shaw. And we'll have to see, he thought Shaw was losing bat speed. So I don't know. I don't know whether or not that's true or not, but we'll have to see. And 
if that's true, then there is potentially a problem there. But yep. they're not into Travis Shaw for that much here. It was what 1.5 million they gave him up front, and 1.5 million, yeah, 1.5 million more if he makes the roster. Right, and they gave him an early opt out too. It was like a mid March opt out. So right, basically to see, are you part of the the team that's going to be playing here, or right? You know, he should be able to get a feel for that in camp. Yeah, L- long enough for them to see. Okay, your swing is still broken. No, thank you. Right. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, no, exactly I, true. Yeah, but Ryan, you you mentioned the twenty twenty stats, and you know I've also mentioned I'm just kind of throwing everything out the window last year because it doesn't really matter, doesn't really count as far as I'm concerned. But if you want to have some fun with some crazy small sample sizes, Travis Shaw hit two ninety five against lefties last year. <laughs> <laughs> How small is that sample size, James? Uh, forty-six plate appearances. Yeah, that honestly, right. that's bigger than it should be. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> he hit two eighteen in one hundred and thirty-four against righties. So there you go. <laughs> yes, obviously meaningless, but let let's find let's find the sunshine where where we can find it. Yeah. Right. So, well, and he was actually significantly shot. better last year in general than he was with the Brewers. I mean, he was wretched with the Brewers in twenty nineteen. That was a forty-five OPS plus. That is struggling and just can't hit your way out of a wet paper bag like just horrible levels you put up a 95 ops plus in 180 plate appearances in 2020 that's not good but it's also like hardly a disaster right and i think it was the prototypical example of a guy needing a change change of scenery right because things had just gotten so toxic with them with the brewers and through no fault of like the organization it was just a, a mental block right and we saw it where he'd get sent down to triple a he'd hit like the old Travis Shaw. And then the second he came back up to the majors, he'd struggle again. So it it was just a scenario where I think he needed to kind of go away for a little while. And maybe if you're the Brewers, you hope that the year away kind of helped him clear his head and, you know, you, you give him a shot to compete now, tell him he has to earn it. And, and hopefully he does. So it for a minor league contract with a very small guarantee, you know, the upside is there where we've seen the upside, right? And granted, he's 30 years old now, a couple of years removed from that, but still something that we have seen in the past. It's not like some of these other guys where you need to squint and dream on it, you know? So I don't know. We'll, we'll see where that goes. In, in the meantime, the Brewers did also bring back another face, Brett Anderson, back on a one-year deal. Brewers, we kind of talked about this in the last couple of weeks maybe needed some help filling out the the back end of the rotation mix there brett anderson kind of does that you know pretty unspectacular last year but got the job done as far as being like a fifth starter i guess when he was available at least so i guess ryan your thoughts on bringing brett anderson back and how do you think the back end of the rotation shakes out now with him back in the fold well, I think he goes right into the back end of the rotation and gives them some extra depth and just some extra ability there. We know what he is the, with the defense that being improved as it is, that does help him because he's a ground ball pitcher. And so they're going to be able to take advantage of that with him. But Brett Anderson is so frequently hurt and there's just so many you know questions in general with him. I'm glad to have him back but I'm not really counting on him for anything. I look at it like he's another guy who can potentially give them solid starter innings. And you want as many of those guys in any year as possible, but especially this year with just the amount of weirdness that we're going to have trying to balance out the pitching and trying to get through all those innings. 
Yeah, I mean, he's it, it, in his baseball perspective, comment, it should just say fine. Um, Fred Anderson's fine. <laughs> he is a prototypical fifth starter innings eater guy to take up space when you need it to give your bullpen a rest. Um, actually, I mean, they've been probably improved their infield defense this year, which maybe helps him out a little bit more, actually, than last year, which is good. Um, but that's all he is. It's nice to have. You need guys like that. Um, it's it's a nice back end to a very dominant front end, but you know that's all he is. Brett Anderson's there a dime a dozen, and uh, you know we got to find one. Right, especially like you guys mentioned, as we mentioned before, there's going to be a lot of innings to cover this year, so you're going to need the Brett Anderson types, even if you can't count on him for like 100 innings or 120 or whatever you want to put the marker at. You know, somebody's got to make those starts, and at least last year he seemed to be fine for you know those five and a half inning spurts so hey can i grab brad's tinfoil hat for a second oh yeah absolutely Uh, step into the conspiracy corner yeah so the timing of those two moves was kind of interesting to me the fact that they came out oh about three hours after the news that the brewers had just signed a new tv contract or had agreed (laughs) to a new tv contract to go uh was it going to be with bally or whatever Yep. Yeah, yeah. FSN, they're to rebranding yeah. to Bally because that's going to be legalized gambling, right? So, Right. Yeah. yeah. Would, would you say this is a gamble? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just, like, I thought the timing of that was funny, even though, yes, it's those, it's not like they went out and spent a ton of money on those deals, but it still was interesting that, like, okay, they got that deal done and now they're willing to to fork over a little bit of extra money on these guys i don't know if, did they really think they might not needed, get a deal if you done? needed a tv contract to spend three million dollars combined <laughs> on travis shaw and brett anderson uh your financial situation is a lot worse than anybody believed right well i mean and they're <laughs> that's what they are kind of they're in such a weird position because of how much they were relying on in stadium money we've talked about this so much that they are more reliant on that than a lot of teams. And now they've got a better TV contract. Presumably I can't imagine it going down from 20 million a year. So, but we still don't know the actual details of that. And I've been reaching out trying to, to find out what we could find out about it, but people are being tight lipped about it. It'd be really nice to know what the actual dollar amount is and how long this one goes. Cause the last one was 10 years. Yeah. And it was like the very wrong 10 years. It was the worst 10 year <laughs> TV contract. Honestly, just yeah. terrible. It was absolutely horrible. Compared to other teams that have had, like, San Diego came up at exactly the right time to do that. And now Fernando Tatis is $300 million richer. Funny how that worked out. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. uh, Some other moves to talk about before we get to questions. The Brewers also uh, traded a player to be named later to Toronto for another post-hype prospect, David Stearns' favorite, uh, Derek Fisher, (laughs) joining camp. You know, it. Interesting side note here that uh, Derek Fisher was a supplemental first round pick the last time of the Houston Astros during the time David Stearns was there as assistant GM. So Hmm. not a totally foreign player, I guess, to David Stearns. But I guess, Ryan, you being the prospect guy here, what could he provide? Is there still kind of some potential there that's untapped? I'm just going to steal from James Anderson what he said on the minor league podcast. So he basically said that he is a stat cast guy. He is a guy that has a very good exit velocity and makes pretty good hard contact with the baseball when he can make it. And the question is trying to get all of that 
to work together to turn into a good productive player. And he's not particularly old. I believe he's 26, 27, right. somewhere in that neighborhood. Right. So he's not particularly old. And guys do turn into good players at an advanced age now, like with a swing change or some sort of adjustment. So you want to, what I said on, on the minor league pod is you want to collect as many of these guys as you possibly can throw them in there with, you know, Daniel Robertson and see what ends up sticking. Yeah. I guess what concerns me about him, you gave the caveat that he hits the crap out of the ball when he yep. makes contact, but he's got like a key on Broxton level strikeout rate, which is mildly <laughs> concerning. And it's kind of plagued him, you know, in his cups of coffee so far, but you know, this is how the Brewers get a player like this, I guess. Yep. So, well, you wouldn't be that... getting him for a player to be named later if right he wasn't in that situation. So exactly, right. like every the thing about baseball now, as opposed to twenty years ago, much longer years ago, is everybody is a prospect now because of because of Statcast and because of the ability to fix problems later in people's career than ever before. And so you can get these guys who their current teams think are unfixable. If you think you've got an inkling as to how to fix them and the Brewers are, are proved to be pretty good at that. So, um, and you can see it in the profile, like there's talent there. It's just, there's one problem that you typically can't fix, but if you can fix it, maybe you got something. And you're not probably not going to, even at the best case scenario, maybe he does turn into a really good player for a little while and you have Travis Shaw 2.0. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like that's sort of the upside. And then he, probably will will not be able to sustain that for very long and that's fine but you got to take chances on guys like this or you're not going to you know be able to find the the diamond in the rough that they've been so good at finding right and to steal a meme from brew crew ball a prospect is just somebody who's not dead yet so you know there's always a chance somebody <laughs> can turn around True. and give you a solid couple of years shouts to hyatt uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. We do have Patreon questions to get to this week. A reminder, if you go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, sign up there to become a patron, either the $2 or $5 level. You do get question priority every single week when we send out these calls for questions at the $5 level. As Ryan mentioned at the top, you also get the minor league extra podcast. And it's one you especially want to sign up for this week to get that Ben Badler interview. Uh, so, this Patreon question comes from Adam Post. It's talking about in the last week, the Brewers submitted their proposal to allow fans into Miller Park this year. Kind of follows almost like a week after the Bucks were allowed to allow a smaller number of fans indoors at the Pfizer Forum. So Brewers feeling optimistic about their chances of having fans from the get-go this year. Uh, they're asking the Milwaukee health department for 35% attendance, which, you know, we'll see if, if that's a rosy ask or not, or if that comes down, but regardless, it sounds like we're going to have fans on opening day, which, you know, six months ago, I don't know if that either any of us could have predicted that. So either way, kind of good on the brewers, but anyway, Adam's question here is how does the brewers proposal for a 35% crowd capacity compare with what other teams plan on doing this season? What will that or sorry, will that provide enough revenue to prevent the Brewers from having another quote-unquote operating loss this season? <laughs> Paul, you want to take this Sure. Um, so the revenue question is the harder one, um, and it, it, it's an interesting little balancing act they do have to pull because when you have fans in the stands, you also have to employ people to serve the fans in the stands. And so 
there is a level at which you will be taking a loss if you don't have enough people there and it's frankly not worth having them in the first place. Um, and so it's hard to actually make those projections as to what that level is, what it needs to be. Um, but I would also say this, any, any opening day projection of wanting fans in the stands is, is a first projection. Over the course of the season, they'll want to increase that as the weather gets better, as more right. people get vaccinated, as things start to improve. And, you know, they, they, it's harder to go from zero to full capacity than it is to go from a third and then have a slow ramp up over the course of things. So um, even if they're underwater a bit to kick things off, um, you know, it'll help them move up in terms of what they're pulling in as time goes on. So like, like, it's impossible to know what the, what the break even is there. It's, it, we, we saw this team throughout the 80s and 90s, you know, draw very poorly. So um, we, we know that they, they still bothered to put games on. So it's probably a pretty low number. It's probably like 10% capacity, but we don't know for sure. And things change over time. Um, the, other, the other thing is there's not really an average here because it varies highly by region. Um, uh, there, every state has their own restrictions on big, large events. Um, every stadium has different logistics as to where crowd points are, um, where entering and exiting is a big factor. Um, I, I just, being up here in, in Minnesota, Target Field has lots of very large ingresses into the stadium. I think they could probably avoid a lot of close contact with people and maybe get a few more people in. Miller Park does have close concourses and, um, you know, kind of close quarters entrances to the stadium i think it's a little bit more of a problem miller park being once you're inside it's really not that big a deal anymore uh, being inside miller park even with the roof closed for covid purposes is just like being outside um you're, there's still enough air in there to spread things out once people are at their seats um you know th there's plenty of space to have a lot of people it's just moving people through the aisles that's the big deal here so um i, I think that's probably a responsible number to start off with if start, things start to go south and they become a vector point they can dial it back but I think by the time opening day kicks off, the country is going to look like it's in pretty good shape. So um, I think that's a good, aggressive way to start things off. And I think you'll see it go up from there. And I think it'll work, frankly, too. I think we're, what, like six weeks away from opening day still at this point? Yep. And yeah, I think you're right. Things are going to look very different. The numbers pretty much across the board are encouraging. Things that The numbers are dropping rapidly, and there's a lot of good reasons for that kind of across the board. We don't want to do anything that's going to unnecessarily create problems right when we're we're doing so well. So this is a little bit scary from that perspective, but teams are going to have a lot of experience because most places are allowing fans for spring training. So they're going to their operations people are going to be able to go down and figure out how to actually make this work and how to get people in and out and figure yep. out procedures and things and it's not like other events haven't been held already. Like the, you, there's a pattern that can be followed here and best practices that can be installed. So I think that this probably does make a lot of sense. The numbers I heard tossed out, I, I can't remember exactly what they were, but it was somewhere between like a quarter and a half uh, capacity is sort of the break even point for when a, a stadium is going to be profitable to, for it to even have people back in the stands or it's going to be an extra expense. So and it totally depends on where you are and what procedures are going to have to be put in place, what the state or municipality is going to require of them as well. Mm -hmm. So all of those restrictions and things are going to have to be taken into account. But I think it is it is a definitely good progress. And yes, they are going to be looking to increase this as the season goes on. And, you know, yeah, hopefully also, 
have it be like 100% for the postseason when the Brewers make it there. Yeah, I also want to throw out there too, a lot of government messaging on the vaccine efficacy is still overly cautious. Um, and, you know, you've heard me on this in the football podcast. I've been urging a lot of caution throughout the pandemic so far. But just so everybody knows, early returns, early research on vaccines ability to actually stop spread is very good. Um, it looks like it's about 95% effective, uh, the Pfizer one and the Moderna one, at actually stopping people from spreading it, even if they're asymptomatic, even if they have it and are not experiencing symptoms themselves. That's a very good sign. Uh, there's been, I think, too much pessimism out there from a lot of people saying, oh, uh, we'll be in masks forever and things will never be exactly how they were before. And I, I don't like that. I don't think that's true. And one of the good things about the vaccine is it actually looks like it reduces the risk, not just for you, but for everybody around you, too. Uh, I mean, that's ultimately what herd immunity is. It's a probabilistic calculation of the amount of time you spend running into people who have the disease and can spread it. And the way that goes down is people dying, people getting it and recovering, and people getting vaccinated. And that only works if the vaccine, the vac if the vaccine stops you from spreading. It looks like it does. So um, I think a month from now, that research is going to be a lot clearer. There's going to be far more people vaccinated. And it'll start to look like a much more responsible decision to allow people in the stadium. Right. And, you know, I, I do think you see that optimism, I guess, when you look at other things. You know, in the last week, we had uh, UW saying, they're planning on Camp Randall being full in the fall, which may be crazy optimistic, but I guess from their vantage point, maybe it's it's easier to say, okay, by the end of August, let's plan for this and we have to scale it back, then it's no big deal. But yeah. I, I think that does kind of show the optimism there. And I think something else working for the Brewers too is, you know, whereas last year baseball was kind of the first sport to try to figure out how to, how the, to play in a pandemic like this, and handle these situations now they have the benefit of kind of going last when it comes to allowing <laughs> fans in right you know we've seen it with the nfl we're seeing it with the nba now too where even the bucks are allowing in a couple thousand so i i think there's a blueprint there at least you know when it comes to the issues you guys talked about where it's the getting in and getting out of the stadium i think is probably the more concerning thing than actually sitting in the stadium bowl yeah. right definitely so, uh you know, there's a blueprint for that. It appears the Brewers have thought out a lot of scenarios, judging by the length of their 350-page request to the health department on here's how we'll handle everything from concessions to bathrooms and all that stuff. So I, I do think it's really encouraging. And, you know, maybe there is a chance that we see 15,000 people in Miller Park on opening day, which, you know... Some days is like your average Tuesday night game against the Miami Marlins in August, right? So <laughs> it'll feel, I guess, the point is that it'll feel more like baseball, even with that smattering of fans. So I don't know. Finally, something kind of good to look forward to, I guess. Yep. Mm -hmm. Definitely. All right. I guess staying on the stadium topic. Last week, we talked about a lot about, you know, the Pakota projections and why the Cardinals suck. And uh, how Bush Stadium specifically, uh, Paul outlined Bush Stadium being one of the worst hitter parks in the league. So our next question comes from Darren Jones, kind of jumping off that point. He says, last week, you mentioned the park effects for Bush Stadium. Over the past few years, I believe AmFam Fields Park factors have played closer to neutral overall, but in a bit of an uneven way. It appears it has allowed home runs at an above average clip while allowing all other base hits at a below average rate. If this is true, 
Do you think the deadened baseball could potentially lead to Anthem Field playing as a pitcher's park in 2021? So that's something we haven't really talked about on the pod, but the the baseball this year is changing again with the expectation that the league is kind of deadening the ball. So we might not see as big of home run offensive numbers as we've seen in the past. So I guess, Paul, let's start with you. You had all the numbers yep. on Bush Stadium. I think you you kind of pulled up the Miller Park, uh, sorry, Ampham Field. <laughs> oh, so annoying. Yep. That's a nickel in the jar for me. Uh, <laughs> so I guess, Paul, what's your take on Darren's question here? I think Darren's question is pretty prescient, and there's a good chance that it's true. Um, he's right about its overall sort of um, park efficacy over the last couple of years. It was very close to a neutral park by prospectus numbers as well in the shortened season last year. And actually the season before that, it was also pretty close to neutral. It has been an undeniable um, hitters park in the, the three or four seasons before that. Um, but it is a very, very uneven way. So uh, just to put some, some numbers to, to context here, um, it is, it's very home run friendly. That has not changed. It didn't change last year either. Um, the only difference last year was that righties actually hit more home runs um, in terms of park factor numbers than lefties did. And uh, about eight percent, it was about nine percent better for home run hitting for righties and about four percent better than average for lefties. The year before that, it was about 10 percent to 10 percent for both of them. The year before that, it was 20 percent better for lefties and three percent for righties, which is more along the split that you normally see out of Miller Park. Um, but here's the thing. You can't hit anything else in AmFam. I should put five <laughs> five nickels in the jar now. Um, so um, so they did split it out by triples, which uh, Jonathan, don't. This is not a criticism of you if you're listening, but don't. That's dumb. Who cares? Triples don't ever get hit. <laughs> um, but but uh, for doubles, it's like exactly even for lefties, and it is about twenty percent lower for righties. Um, so if you're a right-handed hitter and you basically can't hit a, a double in Miller Park and then singles, like nobody can hit singles in Miller Park. It is, it is a singles death zone. So if you want to play small ball, it's just not going to work. Um, it's a, it's a, it, last year it was about 2.5% under average for lefties. Um, and that was actually kind of an up year. Righties actually hit singles last year, but it's a huge anomaly. If you look at this um, over the past five seasons, all splits included, there's only three above average single seasons the whole time. Um, the low is 4.5% worse for singles for a right-handed hitter. Um, but it's usually around 3% worse. So um, it's just not a place that you're going to string hits together. The outfield isn't very big. Um, and it's, it's just a place you need to hit home runs. So if home runs do dry up, it's going to become something of a pitcher's park because it's really the only way you can score. It's a really weird, small park. So uh, you're right. I think that's a good question and a good observation that could happen. Yeah. I, people think of the difference between hitters parks and pitchers parks, basically in terms of size of the field. And that really isn't accurate in a lot of ways. If you look at, say, Coors Field, it's one of the largest fields in baseball, but because the ball travels so well there, you both have the problem of balls going over the fence for home runs and balls dropping in and around all over the outfield and creating all these doubles and triples as well because of just the sheer size of it. Whereas in places like, say, Kansas City, you have a big outfield. I think it actually has the biggest outfield in baseball, but the ball doesn't carry nearly as well because it's not, you know, at... <laughs> It's not 5,000 feet. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
So, and then you also, on the West Coast, you always have the problems with the park effects of uh, the marine layer coming in at night and often suppressing how far the ball will travel. And some of those parks are actually not that big. Some are. San Francisco is pretty big. But some of them, like Dodger Stadium, isn't particularly big. It's just that at night, that stadium tends to play really, really big because the ball just does not fly there. Uh, There's another thing that's happening this year, and we don't know exactly who it's going to apply to, but the league has gone from five to ten teams that are going to be using humidors, and we still don't know exactly who that is. So that is also a, a thing that could be watched, and... To be honest, I wouldn't be shocked if the Brewers were potentially one of them, seeing that their team is now built around uh, uh. pitching and defense. Hmm. If they decided to really play that up and say, okay, we're just going to play this style and count on getting our offense from a few guys who can slug the ball over the wall. Just and get a couple bombs and nothing else. Ugh. Yeah, Gross. I mean, that's yeah. that might be the way that they're planning to do this. And... I think it's as a thought experiment, it's certainly it's interesting to me, but as a fan, it seems like potentially very, very (laughs) painful. So we'll have to see like baseball metrics in the last 20 years as a thought experiment. It's really interesting, but watching it kind of sucks. If you are interested in this topic, by the way, this is a reason to subscribe to baseball prospectus because they are the best at covering the ball. Um, they basically know what it's going to be like within four games being played with the new ball, which is not in play yet, by the way. Um, and just a good article last week by Russell Carlton saying, um, how about you make the ball actually good for offense so it's entertaining um, in, in, in more words than that. So um, they really are the best at this. And it's so dumb to make uh, – baseball is the worst at reacting to things that are different as a problem. And right. the bouncy balls were not a problem. They were fun. They were good. With strikeouts going up, you needed more home runs to compensate and drive exactly. up scoring. And strikeouts keep going up. They're going to keep going up. They've been going up for the literally the entire history of baseball. And mm-hmm. if you don't hit more balls out of the stadium, scoring is going to go down and boredom is going to go way up. So um, <laughs> make the balls bouncier not the other way around. When we saw this from 2009 to 2014, where every single year strikeouts were really climbing every single year and the ball was not flying out of the park because maybe the balls were changed or maybe the players were changed. It sort of <laughs> depends on your perspective there, but something was going on and it was not great. Like that was not a great time for baseball being like super entertaining. And then all of a sudden, second half of 2015 comes along and all of a sudden the balls are flying out of the park at crazy rates. And yeah, there is probably more intentionality than baseball wants to admit with that. But just because they maybe manipulated the baseball to fly out of the parks more isn't like inherently evil or wrong. No, no. You got to do something when offense is dying, right? Like just cop to what you're doing. Just like be honest and forthright about what you're doing because when you hide it and when you're when you're doing manipulative things like we talked about this before you guys joined the podcast, but there was this thing in 2019 where the baseballs that were used in the regular season were very bouncy and all yep. of a sudden it got to the postseason and they weren't. Yep. And yep. that kind of thing, that can't happen. Because that gets into manipulating outcomes yes. and that's integrity of the game stuff there. That's yeah, that's uh, dangerous territory. Right. You have to be open about what you're doing. And if you are, you can kind of almost do whatever you want, but you just have to be open about it. And 
I'm sure that David Stern's connections in the commissioner's office have let him know a little bit more of what's going on behind the scenes maybe than what other uh, teams might necessarily have. So that's good, but it should also shouldn't be that way. Like they should be open and transparent about what they're doing. Uh, so I do want to mention one other thing too, just pure speculation. I have to borrow the tinfoil hat for a second. Um, <laughs> Jonathan Judge was on a lot of radio shows and podcasts last week, and I listened to pretty much all of them. And um, what, one of the ones he was on that actually brought this up was actually, oddly enough, Steve the Homer True Show, which, you know, <laughs> usually not, not the best interviewing, but they brought it up. And Jonathan was interestingly cagey about the ball question because they've done a lot of research on it at Prospectus already. And he was very careful to say, yeah, they, we expect it to be not as bouncy. It's not fly as far. But there are also always unintended consequences when you make changes to the ball. And uh, we're still not entirely sure it's going to do exactly what people think it does. So hmm. I don't know if that was like legitimately uncertainty from him or a tease. So um, I, I do look forward just to seeing more of what they find there. It, it was an interesting comment. Well, Judge is cagey, so. He is. He's very cagey. <laughs> Yeah, it, I'm with Paul. Like, if you're just going to change stuff, like, be out in the open about it, you know? Like, the NBA, how many rule changes that the NBA made to make offense a bigger deal? But they've been open about it, right? Like, they're like, we're trying to open things up. And, yes. you know, popularity of that sport has increased because it is fun to watch. And, you know, if if baseball has a problem with offense, maybe don't screw with the baseball to make it less offense Football's you know? done this too in spades. They you, they have limited contact in the secondary. They've actually they put different balls in to make kicking harder in football to get teams to go for it more. Like that's a thing that they do. So uh, you can make your you can make rule changes and equipment changes for offense. That's fine. All the other sports do it. Don't do the opposite. It's such a baseball thing to do the opposite. They always get this wrong. Yep. Because the issue with the balls in play was not the, uh, you know, more offense. It was, we need more ground outs to second base. It's like they think yeah. that if you take home runs away, it automatically will result in more like singles and doubles and small ball stuff. And I mean, I don't have to tell anybody that's ridiculous. That's not how this works at all. Uh, all it will be is more flyouts to the warning track. And th that's boring. We don't need more of that. Right. We watched the Brewers Stop. all year last year doing that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If anybody wants to know what that looks like, go watch the Brewers from last year. Cause that's what God, that looks painful. like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, moving on another Patreon question. This one comes from Devin Bearwolf talking about the uh, Justin Turner situation. You know, we talked about that last week, him going back to the Dodgers. So Devin's asking, seeing as the Brewers were willing to go close to matching the Dodgers offer for Justin Turner at around 34 million. Am I crazy in wishing the Brewers went after one of the three shortstops instead, especially Marcus Simeon, and putting them at third base instead of going after a 36-year-old third baseman, considering they went all the way less than 40 min Sorry. Considering they went all the way less than the 40 million Justin Turner went for. So I, I don't know. Somebody might have mentioned this. Maybe it was even me. It was like, well, hell, if they were going to pay you know, Simeon, 18 million or whatever it was that he ended up getting with Toronto and they were a finalist. Why not just sign him instead of Justin Turner? Well, because you have to get Marcus Simeon to agree to then come in and play third base on a one year yeah. contract when he wants to rehit the free agent market next year. And it yep. would be much better for him. Well, next year's weird for shortstop. So, you know, <laughs> there's it, 
there's a lot of guys who are going to be hitting the free agent market. So that's weird. But in general, the point is, is that you're going to get better paid if you're a shortstop, all other things being equal than if you're a third baseman. So I think that that's part of the issue. I, I don't think you were going to get uh, the guy who went to back to Philly, um, the shortstop Didi. who was with, yeah, Didi. I don't think you were going to get him to agree to move to third base. Like the nope. player still has to be willing to do the thing that you want to do. And generally the higher up on the food chain you go, the less willing guys are to do that. Cause they just don't need to, they have suitors right. who are going to give them what they want. They don't need to do your crazy voodoo <laughs> that you're trying to do. Like they don't need that. They, they can do what they want and not have to do that. So yes, that is correct. Uh, how many Short outfielders? Stops. Yeah, sorry. How many outfielders did the Brewers try to convince to play first base to this winter? Like <laughs> half a dozen? Sorry, Paul, go ahead. I assume when, the, when you get into Brewers camp, you fill out a survey that's like, I am capable of playing these positions. <laughs> Check all and apply. Yep. And then some guy walks up to you in a suit later and is like, so it says here that you can play second base. Like, no, well, yeah, technically that's true. Well, technically you're going to do it right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, this isn't a softball team. So, yes, all shortstops can play third base, but it costs them money to do that because third basemen aren't as important as, as shortstops are. So nobody's going to do that and risk being typecast as a as a third baseman unless they absolutely have to. That's Desperation makes for those moves, not uh, not you ordering some awesome shortstop to move over there. <laughs> so not going to happen. This is where we tie back to the Orlando Arcia conversation, and he needs to learn a new position to stay on the roster. That's why he's trying to play third base instead of just shortstop. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, we do have one more. Sorry, I was wrong. One more Patreon question. This one comes from Luke Zimmerman. He says, it's a bit of a random question. Is there any estimate to any change in Brewers merchandise sales with the ball and glove logo change in 2020 compared to recent years? So I have not seen any of this, but Ryan, have you? Well, no. So there's a couple of different things here. First off, no, there isn't. And it would be impossible to come up with that because you may have noticed there was a pandemic during 2020. And so <laughs> all of all that stuff, like there weren't people in the stadium to buy merchandise, right? People were buying it you know, before the pandemic started, but there wasn't the, the way to sell stuff in the park the way there normally would be. And there wasn't people going out to stores nearly as much to buy stuff. So I suspect that just, yeah, you know, people do order stuff online, obviously, but I would imagine that generally the sales of baseball, baseball merchandise went way down. But we would never know that because this is the kind of information that this is why MLB's books are closed. Yeah. They don't want us to know. Because if we knew how much money they were actually making off of merchandise, we would probably all go, oh, you guys are completely full of shit when you say you've lost money. <laughs> so Completely true. Yeah. There, we just we don't know. This has been a long-going argument between Steve and I. We would always argue about this, about whether or not it made more sense to keep the ball and glove logo as a secondary logo so that you could right. sell a lot of that and a lot of the regular stuff. Or if you should just go back to the ball and glove logo full time. So we don't know. And this is exactly the kind of information that MLB just does not want us to know. Yeah, that's a good point, too, about keeping it as a secondary logo, which might actually make figuring out this question even harder. Right. Because like they were already selling a decent amount of ball and glove stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I know me personally, I always opted for that option instead of the, the barley M or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> right. Yep. Same. I liked having both to be able to switch it up and do different things. 
Well, I mean, there's like five logos now, so you can. That's true. They, yeah. they went all Oregon on us. Uh, <laughs> they probably re- they probably regret doing that announcement right before the pandemic started. Not that you could predict it, but they should probably have some kind of reintroduction to their their five new logos that they have at some point in the near future. Here, It'd well, they also lost doing. out on their 50th anniversary season. Yeah, that's a shame. Fans like. This was not a great year for the Brewers to have had this happen. Like, it wasn't a good year for any of us, but the timing of it was kind of particularly shitty for them. Yeah, not the kings of timing. Bad with the cable deal, pandemic during 50th anniversary. They've been good when other teams have been good. That's annoying. Being a Brewer fan is pain. Eat at Arby's. (laughs) Eat at Arby's. There, we snuck that one in from the football podcast, too. I was gonna, I was gonna say that too. The Brewers are the kings of shitty timing, just throughout the entire history of that organization. But mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? Life is pain. They're never winning a World Series. Watch <laughs> baseball because it's fun, not because you expect championships. The end. All right. Uh, we also have some Twitter questions to get to really quick before we get to the Ben Badler interview preview. A reminder: we do put out those call-up questions on our Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate every single week. You can also reply to that tweet. Uh, send your questions to us directly. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. So we got a couple to get to this week. Uh, first couple kind of deal with the same topic, so I'm going to lump them together. <laughs> We've got questions from Paul Martin and Marcus Horton. So Paul's asking, apart from third base, at what position should the Brewers look to improve? Marcus's question is, from now to opening day, do you guys think any major changes are made to the current roster, whether it's trains, signings, etc.? So I lumped those two together because it still seems like third base is kind of the issue point here. But I guess, Paul, what are your thoughts on, I guess, that topic as a whole? Uh, well, I know they're moving Keston here to first base, but the other answer is first base. They don't have a real first baseman, and they could use one. That would be a place to upgrade. And we shouldn't sleep on the outfield. Um, the outfield is ostensibly in good shape. Lorenzo Cain, uh, Christian Yelich, and... Um, Avisael uh, Garcia are a good outfield trio. However, Lorenzo Cain is getting up there, and at some point you are going to need to replace him, and replacing center fielders is much harder than replacing corner outfielders is. So that is a place to just kind of start looking at the heir apparent as well. Um, it's not an immediate need because he's still on the team, but uh, you know he's not going to last forever, so you, you got to start looking there too. Lump me in with former minor league extra guest will salmon he wrote an article this week about how the brewers should sign a relief pitcher and then they were tied to trevor rosenthal and then trevor rosenthal went to the a's instead (laughs) but i still think that that makes a lot of sense you can never have too many good relievers you really can't the brewers in 2018 they were like four or five deep with really good relievers that you trusted to get key outs late in games and they still didn't even have quite enough to cover all the situations that they wanted to cover doing that. So you can never have enough and always look to be upgrading in that area. Even if you think like I do that the Brewers have tremendous depth out there. Yeah. I mean, you saw that too, even before the Rosenthal rumors, they added Brad Boxberger on a minor league deal too. So, you know, that another arm to throw into the mix there. You can't get, too many arms in the camp. By the way, I I did enjoy the three minutes of the Trevor Rosenthal rumors being out there before they (laughs) they ended. Was that Robert Murray on the front end and Heyman on the back end? John, Robert Murray and John Heyman, both on the front end. Um, Heyman contradicted himself three minutes later, I think because somebody called him after he tweeted the incorrect brewer rumor. It was like, 
Actually, no, he's not doing that. <laughs> I, man, I, baseball Twitter is fun. It is. And I, I feel like I miss half of these now that I'm like working during actual daytime hours. But uh, one of the, you know what you are like, getting though, James? Yeah. Sleep. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. You know, that, that's a decent benefit, yeah. I guess. One of the great things about um, Heyman's Twitter feed is that there's no way that Brewer World can ever tweet anything as ridiculous as what actually happens on Heyman's Twitter feed. <laughs> Yo, don't sell Bob Nightingale short here. Nightingale yeah, has oh, some Nightingale pretty too, but yeah, big yeah. ones, but too. It, the, the good thing is, so it's always plausible. There's no way to make it implausible. It is a, it's plausible 100% of the time because Heyman would always tweet something like it or worse. <laughs> Was it Justin Turner? The Brewer World thing was like they have agreed on everything except for years and money. That's right. <laughs> yep. Days later, uh, so good. it's like as I reported, <laughs> they were nowhere near years and money. Yeah. All of you uh, people who earnestly comment on Brewer World rumors, you are just the best. I love all each and every one of you. Hey, I got to admit, are more fun than I, I I did that at first. I I actually did, <laughs> and somebody sent me a message and was like, uh, "Top, <laughs> you, you, you should probably shut up." And I'm like, "Oh God, wait." <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that was that was a, a good humiliating moment for me. <laughs> All right, uh, one last sort of question uh, before we kind of wrap things up here and get to the Ben Badler preview. Uh, last Twitter question comes from Hobo Power. Which sounds like one of uh, all's reporting as eligible Patreons, but it is not. It, it, <laughs> it does. It does. Not yet, at least. You've you got know? a football name. Yeah. Sign up. With, Mr. With, with, Mr. With Mr. Hobo, yeah, Mr. Hermes. I should say Hobo Power. If you if you want to sign up, uh, it's five bucks a month for the Patreon. Please do. <laughs> anyway, uh, the question is: Do you expect the starting pitching to regress from last season? I probably should have mentioned this when we were talking about the pitcher park stuff, Paul, but do you expect the pitching to regress at all? So I do because we definitely got some super good streaks in that, that small sample size season. Part of that was just offense being down across the league, but like Devin Williams was not going to do that for 162 games. Like that's yeah. That season was incredible, but not sustainable for that amount of time. So I mean, they were so good last year um, across the board on the pitching staff. I would say I would expect all of the pitchers who were good last year to still be good this year. It's just I would expect them to be 162 game good and not small COVID stupid season good. So um, I don't know if you'd really call that regression, more just kind of a smoothing out over the long haul. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, there'll be some some bouncing up and down there. Those guys won't be quite as dominant. Hater might maybe maybe actually regresses the other way a little bit if he gets his stuff a little bit better order. Um, but I think you'll see it come back a little bit, but still be just super dominant. I mean, it's definitely a strength of the team, even if it's not just like blow your mind good like it was last season. Well, he was asking just about starting pitching, right? Oh, it was just starter. Well, still, uh, uh, no okay. guy. Whoops. Well, there's yeah, your starting pitching. But there's your there's I, your backups too. But uh, it's the entire the entire staff. I could see regressing because yeah. you're right. That bullpen was so phenomenal that yeah, same principle you know, applies to the starters too. Like they yeah. Cor- Corbin Burns was fantastic in the same way Devin Williams was and I mean he, he is I think probably capable of having a Cy Young caliber season but he wasn't going to be that dominant over the course of 162 especially since he got hurt um, and Woodruff right. actually his his um, mean Pakota projection is better than last year so mm-hmm. I guess I would say the numbers won't be as eye-popping because they were really something but um, I don't expect too much regression from from the starting unit 
really at all, especially if the balls aren't bouncy and especially with the infield defense being better. Well, when people yeah. say regression, they usually mean that as negative. Yeah. And that's not actually what the term means. It nope. means to class principle. Right. It means to bounce back to more towards what you'd expect. And I think that we need to remember here and FIP is not the greatest step, but it's the one I have at my fingertips. So I'm going to use it here. <laughs> the, Brewers, the Brewers last year, their starting rotation had a 3.69 FIP and a 4.18 ERA. And you have to remember FIP is not it's not normalized to ERA. It is normalized to RA to just runs allowed. Yeah. So that's an even bigger gap. Like that is saying that the Brewers significantly were worse as a starting group than you would expect based yep. on their overall thing. And yes, again, FIP is flawed, but just stay FIP, with me here. As like, flawed as it is, FIP better predicts ERA than ERA does. Yes, exactly. And there are better measures you could look at. I don't know how to do that on perspective. So that's why I went to fan graphs and did this instead because <laughs> I just wanted to isolate the starters. But yeah, I think that, yeah, they're going to regress and they're probably going to be better in a lot of cases. I don't think Josh Lindblom or uh, uh, Eric Lauer, Eric Lauer yeah. or Adrian Hauser. I don't think any of those guys is likely to be as bad as they were last year overall. Yeah. If you want to look specifically at Adrian Hauser, um, last year, he really did get eaten up by just the percentage of bad platoon matchups he faced. And over a longer season, it's much more difficult to do that to a starting pitcher. So just based on that, I would expect him to have, if he actually throws significant innings, a uh, better outcome. So uh, there's going to be a lot of that that goes in their favor as well. Well, and there's also the idea of pitchers can get better, and especially pitchers on the Brewers can get better because they're always tinkering with new things. We just heard reports today that Corbin Burns was working on a new changeup, which he may yeah. or may not have gotten from Devin Williams. So, like, yeah, yeah exactly. the idea of that is just, like, frankly, like, salivating at time. But... <laughs> Sign me up. Guys can get better. And like we know the big issue with Adrian Hauser is he doesn't have a weapon to neutralize left-handed hitters. Yep. He should have been spending all winter trying to goddamn change up. Trying change and tinkering up, to figure out what what grip can I put on a ball to throw a change up that is going to fool hitters. Like that should have been his focus. I don't know that it was, but hopefully it was, because if he figures that out, his numbers against righties, he was filthy dominant against right-handed pitch or right-handed batters last year and basically yep. throughout his career yep. it's just the lefties so if he can figure out that one sort of weird trick to get lefties out then and and he's not there aren't many better teams to do that on i think than the brewers the brewers are are pretty good at this and that is their sort of organizational mission at this point so i think that the you taking into account also the chance for improvement from guys yeah. Now, what can blow this up is injuries to the injuries, best guys. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's what can tank this, and we can't predict that. We just don't know. Right. Especially, you know, with somebody like Woodruff, who before last year, you know, always seemed like he'd have that midseason oblique pop-up. Oh, oblique, right? man, yeah. Yeah. Worth so. remembering, though, Burns actually did get hurt last year, so it's not like they didn't did. suffer injuries. They were not especially he healthy. Um, and if if they have a more healthy season, they'll be better. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, even though I'm like the world's biggest Corbin Burns fan, you know, even I could admit that, you know, maybe last year was just a good 50 plus innings. And, uh, you know, it, it's the same issue we kind of had with uh, maybe like Kevin here, where you've got like a, sm a really good small sample size and a really bad small sample size. And you're still trying to figure out what the hell is the truth. Right. So, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. This will be a, a, an important year for Corbin Burns, too, just to kind of prove that he can do it for more than a 60-inning spurt at a time. But I, I'm with you guys, too. I think the back end can be a lot better in the positive regression area than, you know, maybe the worrying about the top guys, which I think we tend to do when we go to this question. Yeah. But overall, still pitching going to be probably one of the bigger strengths of the team overall. Uh, reminder, you do get question priority when you sign up to be a patron. That's patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Uh, no new patrons to shout out this week, but we did want to play that clip of the interview that Ryan and James did with Ben Badler that we told you about at the top of the show. So uh, we're going to play a little bit of that for you right now. Let's move into the your area focus, the, the international guys. I mean, you guys have been way out in front on sort of Hedbert Perez kind of emerging uh, and moving past uh, Luis Medina from that, that same class. You know, it's tough to really kind of know exactly what we're dealing with here since he hasn't played in any official games. But um, the one, the one thing I had a question about um, with him is, you know, you guys have him listed uh, at 5'11", 180. And I'm just wondering how you envision his body aging as he gets into his twenties. Like, do you, do you see the plus speed sort of sticking there into his mid twenties? Yeah, that's uh, that's always tricky, right? Like we're trying to, especially with. I mean, he's still he's still seventeen, right? Like he doesn't turn right, eighteen yeah. until until April. So uh, although he's kind of built like a man at this point, or already, but I mean, it's it's tri- like if you saw him when he was like fourteen years old, he was just. I mean, he was shorter and just this like real kind of skinny kid. And and as he, and I think he's at that time he's probably running like seven four, seven five, like way below average speed. Uh, and then, you know, I, the Brewers, I think just did a, a great job, but by, you know, by the time he was signing, he, you know, improved his, you know, run grades by like, he cut like a full second <laughs> practically off his, off his 60 yard time, it's, you know, like what, three or, or more grades <laughs> that he bumped his, his speed up. So as he, you know, as he got, you know, stronger, he got faster, uh, which isn't uncommon at, at that age, but, um, you know, as he's, you know, continued to, you know, put on size and, and strength, you know, now there, I think there is some concern about like, like you said, like how much of that speed is he going to retain? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I wish I, I knew it probably have a, uh, help me create a, a better projection for, for him. But I, I think he's, you know, he is, he is, he's just a very explosive player and, and all the, all the actions that that he has it's it's not like he's you know getting fatter or anything like that either he's uh you know just like a just still like a really athletic but just like a strong and like bulkier guy now than than he was so i think he's just you know he's gonna have to maintain that but he's he's definitely like a real quick burst quick first step type guy and and has really good instincts too from from what i've seen and, and also just heard from you know other people who've been able to to scout him in in person so so i do think he has kind of the the tools or the attributes to to be able to stay in in center field as, as long as he can um you know maintain as, as much of that speed as he can i just remain gobsmacked by the idea that he was 
at 17 years old heading up to Appleton, Wisconsin to be in yeah. the, the summer camp <laughs> with guys who are, you know, in some cases as much as like 10 years older than him. And he, it sounded like he fit in. We talked to Chris Maring, who covers the uh, the Timber Rattlers on the radio. And so we talked to him a little bit because he saw a lot of that in-person stuff. And he said that, you know, he fit like he he was out there busting his butt in the outfield and and all of that. So it it sounded like it was a positive experience for him. Just I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, which is like tough. I mean, like you said, like, like, like he was the youngest player of any anyone any team <laughs> at any of those alternate sites which is like a real you know tough challenge like you said you know, all right go up there and like you know what what face like perdomo <laughs> who's like what 10 years older than him a real tough lefty to to face like come on that's it's not a not a real easy task but like even just like off the field stuff he's played like again like he played in those tricky league and like dominican instructional league games now you're asking him to go before he's ever played his first official game and doesn't really have a ton of time and like, you know, even being in the United States or being accustomed to, you know, a, you know, a routine here. And this is just like real weird situation. But yeah, like you said, everything I heard about him was like, Oh, you know, all, all his older teammates, like kind of seem to love him. Like, he's just like a real, like, uh, like I'm sure you've seen like the interviews that, uh, that he's done. He's just like a real, like charismatic, kid speaks english better than i do like he does interviews in english better than i do i'm like when i'm on tv or radio so he's just awesome uh kind of like a little bit different personality i think than like julio rodriguez with uh the mariners but i you know i, I hope he i hope he uh, you know goes on to like have success so i think he just has that kind of personality that like you know is just gonna make him like a a, a fan favorite with uh with people if he uh if he clicks so he the the big explosion in his ranking and everybody really coming to the Hedbert Perez bandwagon was that out of his performances in Tricky League and in the Summer League instructionals? Yeah, I think it's a it's a combination of some of the, you know, the reports I was getting on him uh, you know, later on in in the process leading up to July 2nd. I mean, less than a million dollars. It was still like a big signing bonus, right? But like I think he really, really improved his stock a lot uh, leading up to July 2nd. So I was hearing a lot of good things from him uh, there. And then, you know, just getting the reports on him from, yeah, after he signed, playing in these, you know, they play a lot of games, Tricky League, Dominican Instructional League. Uh, you know, other teams were like, man, like this guy is like wearing us out. Like <laughs> I went down and, and saw him in uh, saw him in person at the end of uh, Dominican Instructional League. So like one of their last games and, um, I think he was probably like, you know, 17, you know, he's 17 years old by the end of it. He's like I was saying, they play a lot of games. So I think some of the kids, including him, were kind of worn down at, at that point. But he still looked, I mean, really, really good. Just had a, a really good swing, real, you know, quick burst in the outfield, really strong arm, uh, good power, bat speed, like just, a, you know, a really well-rounded player with, with really good tools just, uh, just across the board. So, um, you know, between you know the pre-July second reports leading up to July second, everything he did in those in those games after that, and uh, you know for me seeing him in person and and from talking to uh, other people who were who were watching him there, it just kind of uh, it, it all kind of added up. This this was a guy who was just kind of trending way way up. All right, thanks to Ben for joining in with Ryan and James. There, a reminder: you can get that full podcast, our minor league extra 
over at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. That's the $5 a month level gets you that minor league extra podcast every month. Uh, something you definitely want to sign up for, for more insight. Like we just heard from, from Ben. And especially now that we're getting back into baseball season, you'll definitely want to check out that minor league extra podcast. In the meantime, if you haven't already, please do not forget to, to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, anywhere else that you listen to your podcast, hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, please do leave us a kind review to help other people find the podcast. In the meantime, uh, been a lot of fun talking about spring training. Hopefully a lot more storylines to talk about in the next week. Stay well, everybody. We'll see you next time on Milwaukee's Milwaukee.